Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Derrick Time NFL Podcast for our Scares and Dares episode where with our where we review our horror movie I already screwed it up. I can't believe that. It's unbelievable. Uh, thanks guys for taking taking it through the entry here and it's, it's only gonna get better. Let's just get it that way. We're we're gonna review our horror movies Um, so we're going to give you a little bit of background on this, and then we'll kind of walk from there. 
Did you uh, want to add something on, on Orphan oh, no, no, and how no, long I, the movie is? Or any comment on how long it was? I was going to say <laughs> we normally don't review movies that are over two hours long. Yeah, that's true. Um, this movie was, yeah. but it doesn't feel like no, it, it was moved, two hours. I think it moved like, relatively yeah. well. It moved relatively well. I mean, um, so I'm going to, again, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the movie. And I promise you this is all in the marketing materials. I'm not going to give anything away that you wouldn't find out publicly. And then we'll talk a little bit about it, some, some, uh, some responses here to some of the things that happened in the movie. So uh, as a little bit of background, um, devastated by the loss by their third, of their third child, who was stillborn, Kate, played by Vera Farmiga, who actually is quite good. We've seen her recently, actually, in some TV shows. We'll talk about that later. Uh, who is shown to be an ex-alcoholic. And John, her husband, uh, played by Peter Sarsgaard, who is an architect who appears to want to move on from this scenario, they together decide that they are going to adopt a child. And they both visit an orphanage and meet lots of kids, but are particularly drawn to a nine-year-old Russian orphan by the name of Esther, played by Isabel Furman. So Kate and John decide to take Esther home for a uh, trial period, so to speak, to see how she does um, with the home and with the rest of their family, because they also have a son and a daughter. Um, During her time, they discover that Esther has lots of hidden talents, including with painting, drawing, and music, and other things. And Esther appears to get close to their daughter, Max, who is deaf, and she learns sign language early, and they communicate uh, pretty, uh, pretty significantly. But their older son, Daniel, begins to have some suspicions. And as time goes on, dangerous events start to unfold as Esther begins to manipulate members of the family, and Kate begins to suspect that there is something evil lurking behind the child's angelic exterior. So um, let me turn to you first, Joanne. What are your thoughts on uh, Orphan, the 2009 movie? You know, it's funny because when we went and saw this again when Orphan First Kill came out on Peacock, Mm -hmm. and we both said we think we saw it, right? Right, right. But we weren't sure. Right. And to be honest, like, I don't think we did because when we were watching it, I didn't really remember it. But it seems like a lot of other movies. I think that's the problem is that it really does kind of have that familiar evil child scenario, which they play on. And so it has a lot of similarities to other movies. So maybe if you haven't seen it before, it would be not notably different. Yes. But um, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. Uh-huh. I, it, it, it kind of keeps you in suspense, I think, while you're watching the movie about, like, what is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they try to drop hints here and again, but you don't exactly know what those hints mean. Right. And so I think that's why the movie didn't seem like it was over two hours. Okay. Yeah. And I think what, what I think what I liked about the movie um, was that although the uh, evil child scenario is a common horror movie trope that we see very frequently ever since the omen, right? We've always seen the evil child trope. Typically the evil child is dropped into disrupting a happy family. So a family that has no issues, they drop into it, and then all of a sudden chaos ensues. Here, I believe, I think that, and, and this is not giving away, there's a twist at the end, obviously, that we will not be giving you. You'll have to watch it in order to see the twist at the end of the movie. But um, this scenario that they set up for them with Kate and John um, is actually interesting to me because, quite frankly, this family is semi-dysfunctional, right? They have a lot of issues. There's a lot of grieving. Uh, they're not doing, they don't even get along real well with their kids. She's often losing her temper with her uh, younger daughter, who is deaf. 
I mean, there's obviously a lot of dysfunction there. And then you drop this quote unquote evil child into that. And that makes it an, an even interesting, more interesting mess. But because um, Esther is actually has the ability now, a much easier road to pushing people's buttons because she can see where all their vulnerabilities are, where their weaknesses are, how, how they don't get along with each other. She can actually manipulate them much easier. And I think that is interesting because that's key to what happens in the movie is that her ability to in, invade and divide that family. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's very insightful of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Now, I, I will say, though, that so I do, I do say, though, that it, it was a little bit overly long. I think that it could have been done in uh, less time. There was a lot of setup. Yeah, I think we both said that. It could have been done in a shorter amount of time. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know, like, how much they could have removed. Like, when you when I think back of the movie. Right. Um, all all have, the character development was yeah, significant. I, I, just because they were trying to, I guess, like, show... Yeah, they were, I mean, they were definitely trying to show all the, the various aspects of the family like and the, why the, there's a lot of dysfunction. Right, all the trouble that they were having and, like, what secrets potentially was in the family that was causing all these problems. Right. So it's, it's difficult when you're making a movie, I guess. Like, And there's some movies where we watch and we're like, oh, you could definitely cut this down. But right. in this movie, yes, we thought it was a little long. We thought it could have been shorter. But in all honesty, I'm not sure where they would cut it. Um, would it be like the evil act? of Esther? Would it be less of the family development? Yeah. I, mean, I think I that's where I would cut it. I mean, yeah. I think there was a lot of exposition on the dynamics of the family, which I think, again, ultimately was important in demonstrating how Esther was able to subvert But I guess it. you're right. Yeah. I mean, not, there is like certain parts that they did kind of replay that they could have taken out. Right. Like, and I did. The, uh, like the alcoholism. Yeah. They really, they really did uh, stick it to you to make sure that you understood that um, Kate, uh, Vera Farmiga's fam, uh, character, was an alcoholic. I mean, they, they basically use that as a uh, uh, plot point later on in the movie, and they use it several times of her longingly staring at bottles of wine. So, yeah, I, I mean, guess, clearly yeah. could have used a little bit of less of that, yeah, I think. I guess that would be like, what, three minutes? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I'm just saying, you know. That, that, you have to keep one of them in If there. you cut four, you're under two hours. That's all I'm saying, you know. So I'm just saying. Anyway, um, the, so what's I ask you? What's the uh, best thing, what's the thing you like most about this movie? Um, the plot twist. The plot twist. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. I, that's all I'm going to say. Right. Because it was unique. I hadn't seen it before. So I, I will say that. I hadn't seen it before. So I think that was good. And what did you uh, like least about the movie? Um, I'm going to say the part I liked least, and this is like one of the, uh, I guess, like things that are actually really important mm-hmm. is just the, um, Family dynamics. Oh, because it was just too long. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot. It was still, it really were in your face about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like the fact that they were just in your face about it. I yeah. just, yeah, I don't know why. Well, I didn't like they it. made sure you didn't miss it, that's yeah. for sure. I, I think, so I, I would say the thing I liked most of, of uh, in the movie was um, the two uh, leading actresses, Vera Farmiga and uh, Isabel Furman. I think they both did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a lot of Vera Farmiga recently, not only in movies, um, but also in the TV show, right? Uh, Five Days of Memorial recently on yeah. Apple TV. She has, 
show. Great show, right. And I think she has a lot of range, and she did a terrific job in this movie. This was obviously earlier in her career, so um, really well done. And Isabel Furman was uh, absolutely spot-on perfect, I think. Um, she played – I won't give it away, but the fact that she was able to do what she did, I think, was spot-on perfect. Yes. She played the character to a T, exactly in line with the twist that you will find at the end of the movie. All right, let's get on to the scare-o-meter. Um, what is your uh, out of 10? What do you give it in this time of the scare-o-meter? Oh, out of 10? Yeah. You know, I should be thinking about this. Yeah, that was helpful. <laughs> helpful. I'm going to give it a 5. Okay, all right, giving it a 5. I'm also giving it a 5. Yeah. I actually thought it was could have been scarier, actually. I thought it was more of a thriller. Um, but it did have some elements of humor, dark humor as well. So it's I what, like that. I, that's why I'm, I'm giving it a 5 because the idea of it, is terrifying and I think it could happen. And it did happen. Yes. And it did happen. It there did was happen. actually yeah. a true story that is very similar to this. And I think that's what makes it scary. Like there's not that much gore or horror or the traditional horror that you might expect. Yeah, right. And it is I agree it is more of a thriller. But like in being scary, the fact that it could happen. Yeah. And that it did happen. I yeah. think. I would give it a five. I agree. So um, according to Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it a 58%. So it's just under that level of being fresh. Uh, the critics' consensus is while it has moments of dark humor and the requisite scares, Orphan fails to build on its interesting premise and degenerates into a formulaic sleazy horror thriller. <laughs> interesting. Uh, audience score, however, at 63%. So audiences uh, appear to like it. They are actually in the fresh range. How many stars will you give it out of four? Uh... I'm going to give it 2.5. 2.5, right, and I'm going to give it 3, because I actually really, I, I enjoyed it, and I think part of it might be now, you know, I think there might be part of it due to the fact that I now have seen the First sequel. One? and Second one. Yeah, as well. So maybe that's no. making it better than it really should be. But I mean, I give it, a I, three. It, it is a good movie. Yeah. Like, don't make 2.5 seem like this is terrible. No, of like, course not. I agree with the audience. Like, their rating of giving it an average of 63, yeah. I would be, if I had to range it, I would probably be up there 65, 70%. Okay. I mean, like, I, I like it, but, you know, like, for me, like, you know, Four is like there is perfection. Well, we haven't given anything before right, yet. Right, that's what I so mean. I, you know? I think that's fair. So it's a good movie. I would definitely watch it again, even though I know the the plot twist. Yep, it was good. All right, everybody, watch it. You have one week, and then we'll be reviewing Orphan First Kill next week. So go to go to Peacock, stream all two hours and three minutes of it. Maybe you can cut out the credits. That'll get you under two hours. And uh, enjoy that plot twist, and we'll be back to talk to you about that later. And now let's hit the boxing bell and turn on to the player prop that we dare to make in week two of the NFL. Let's see if we can get a streak rolling. Joanne, what's your first pick? Okay, so my first pick is Daniel Jones. Okay. It is 234.5 total passing and rushing yards. Total passing and rushing yards, okay. So this is, I'm going to go with the under. The under, yes. okay. I know that. I think like my my picks have been very daring. Okay. Like, I had to think about this for quite a while. Okay. So a miraculous thing happened in week one and the Giants won. Yep. I mean, against Tennessee Titans. That was miraculous. I don't think anyone would have expected the Giants to win, but they won. They yep. did it. And in week two, they're going to host the Carolina Panthers. 
And the, on that note, it was really disappointing that the Panthers lost. Right. Uh, not uh, so unsurprising. Not surprising. I was surprised. Um, I was surprised. I really thought it was a close game. So. It was a close game. I, but I was I really thought that the Panthers would pull out the win. I thought the hashtag revenge factor would help, but it it didn't. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, so it is what it is. So uh, week one, Daniel Jones uh, had a combined passing and rushing yards of 213, mm-hmm. under 234.5. Okay. But you know, if we turn back the clock in in 2021, Daniel Jones had an average of, um, did I write here? Oh, oh, I I was reading a little too far. Okay. Um, <laughs> he had an average of 247 passing and rushing yards. Uh-huh. So on average, he had 220 passing yards and 27 rushing yards. Okay. So that's definitely over the estimated 234.5. Right. Uh, but I I went with the under just because of um, just because of the what the Panthers allowed um, the Cleveland Browns to do. Okay. So um, so there's a few things. The Giants really struggled with the run game in 2021. Right. You know, Saquon Barkley, they were having a really big problem. Right. You know, Saquon Barkley's back. He's yeah. healthy. He had 164 rushing yards. Yep. And the Titans allowed it. Yep. And the only person that had that, that was up there and allowing that many uh, rushing yards was the Panthers. Uh, the Panthers allowed uh, like the second most rushing yards in week one. Okay. Um, to the Browns. Mm-hmm. So my logic here is that um, the Giants will more than likely take advantage of the Panthers' weakness in the run defense, and they're gonna utilize a very healthy Saquon Barkley. And so for that reason, they might not pass as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, he's going to pass, but he's not going to pass as much. He's not going to exceed, you know, 234.5. And, yes, he'll scramble, but he's not going to scramble that much either. Okay. I mean, I, if I would have to guess, I would say, like, under 10 yards. Wow, that's very little. Yeah, I mean, like, he, he's going to use it. If he's in a tight spot, but I don't, I don't see it happening. So for those two reasons, I'm gonna say a healthy Barkley, a weak run defense for the Panthers. Okay. Daniel Jones is just not gonna air it out as much. He's just not gonna need to. Okay, so he will be under the 234.5 total passing and rush yards. Okay. So my first pick uh, is another quarterback from the NFC East, and that is the actually. Uh, I shouldn't say that uh, he's actually in the NFC East only recently, I should say, because he was, he was and now he's back, but it's Carson Wentz. So Carson Wentz now quarterback for the Washington Commanders, previously quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he has a player prop at over under 1.5 total passing touchdowns. Now, I am going to take the over 
on 1.5 total passing touchdowns against the Detroit Lions. Uh, Carson Wentz had a passing touchdown in 15 of 17 games last year with multiple passing touchdowns in nine of them. He started off slow in week one in his first start for the Washington Commanders, but he really picked it up in the second half, ending up with four passing touchdowns in a come-from-behind win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, oh, by the way, that was the first Washington quarterback. He's the first Washington quarterback to have four touchdowns in a game since Kirk Cousins in 2017. Good for him. So it's been a minute. It's been a minute for those Washington commanders. Now he gets to face a Detroit Lions team that just allowed 38 points to the Philadelphia Eagles, along with 243 passing yards. Yes, none of those TDs scored in that game were through the air. That's because they didn't have to. They kept falling into the end zone. Uh, I think Wentz continues to sling it. He has the great opportunity to do it. The, we obviously, we've seen Jahan Dotson step up. We've seen Terry McLaurin be as good as he's always been, and Curtis Samuel's healthy. Wentz will continue to sling it. He will get more than 1.5 total touchdowns this weekend against the Detroit Lions. All right. Yeah, I hope so. Well, we'll see. All right. Who do you got for your second pick? Uh, so my second pick, I did Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Now, initially, Thrive Fantasy had McCaffrey at over and under 109.5 rushing and receiving yards. Right. But they've taken that bet down probably due to the popularity. Yeah, too much action. So uh, now we have to choose whether he's going to rush for over or under 63.5 yards or he's going to have 42.5 receiving yards. Okay. You know, of course, we, I don't have to stick with Christian McCaffrey, but I have chose to do so. Okay. And, Loyalty. Yes. CMC. All right. So they made, um, you know, it really difficult because it's Christian McCaffrey. And we talked about this. Like, Christian McCaffrey is a good running back, but he's been injured. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't had much production in quite a while. Mm-hmm. So can he become that, you know, first-round draft pick running back again? Right. So it would be crazy to say he can't do 63.5 yards, right? But – Last week, he had 33 rushing yards, mm-hmm. 33. Right. But then again, if you look back in his stats, they were games where he had, you know, under 40, under 50 rushing yards. You know, it depends on the team you're playing with. Right. So I'm going to say that, you know, on a side note, Christian McCaffrey should be able to beat 63.5 rushing yards, especially mm-hmm. if Derrick Henry could do it. Okay. But that's not the bet we're making. The bet we're making is the over and under on receiving yards, which mm-hmm. is 42.5. And you're taking the under on that one. And I'm taking the under. Okay. So last week he had 24 receiving yards. And, you know, I don't know why Christian McCaffrey's production was so terrible. Um, I don't know if it's because the Browns' defense was so good, Mm -hmm. or just because the Carolina Panthers and Baker Mayfield, they just don't know how to utilize them. Right. I I don't know which one it is. As we get into the season, we'll figure it out. But, like, in week one, I thought he was underutilized, almost absent, like an afterthought for the team, which was a little disappointing. Right. So um, the Cleveland Browns did do a great job in the running run defense only allowing 54 rushing yards. Uh, but hopefully, cross our fingers, even though they're playing against the Giants, mm-hmm. um, in week two, the Panthers kind of figure it out. So Derrick Henry, like I said, had 82 rushing yards. That should be um, – so Christian McCaffrey should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But the Giants were able to figure out how to stop the run. 
And McCaffrey hopefully will get there before they figure that out. Okay. So, yeah, I know my my logic is a little <laughs> circular because okay. I did this when I thought it was going to be both combined. Right. But, like, in all honesty, um, Baker Mayfield, who I think is on par with Daniel Jones as a quarterback, mm-hmm. will really need to figure out how to involve McCaffrey. Whether that's the run game, whether that's the passing game, right. they will need to figure it out. And I think if the Giants could figure out how to stop Derrick Henry, they're going to be able to figure out how to stop Christian McCaffrey. So he's going to need to use his arm. But Baker Mayfield has a lot of receivers. Uh-huh. So I don't really know how much McCaffrey will be involved in the receiving game. Okay. So you're counting on a small target share for McCaffrey. Yes. Okay. And that's why I'm going to go with the under. Okay. So McCaffrey at under 42.5 passing yards. Okay. My second pick is one of your favorite wide receivers, Jerry Judy. He is. Jerry Judy as a... Denver Broncos. I think it's going to be his year. Yeah, well, we certainly look that way because Jerry Judy led all Broncos players in week one with uh, four receptions and 104 yards and a touchdown against the Seahawks. And he now faces a suspect Texans pass defense that ranked 31st in the NFL in 2021. And last year, Houston allowed 340 passing yards per game. That is ridiculous. And it didn't look any better in week one. In fact, they gave up 340 yards to Matt Ryan and the Colts receiver, Michael Pittman, had 122 of those and nine receptions. So the Broncos are coming off a disappointing first game against the Seahawks. Very and they'll be playing in their home opener. The narrative is set. Jerry Judy is getting the target shares. He's getting the yards. I think we see Judy get over easily 58.5 receiving yards. And actually, I would expect Portland Sutton to do the same as well. So I, think so. I am taking the over for Jerry Judy on 58.5 receiving yards this weekend against those suspect Texans defense. But they, right. they did a good job, though, the Texans. I mean, I didn't think they were going to put up that many points. No, I agree. I agree. The Texans definitely exceeded my expectations. But again, my expectations were low. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, what can you say? All right, that comes to the end of the show. Let's get the air horn on the show. All right, Joanne, why don't you give us uh, your social media so people can follow you? It's at Kung Fu for you on Twitter. All right, follow her and get uh, like, give your, your thoughts about what you think about her pick. Maybe she's going to be 4-0. Maybe she'll be doing 2 I don't know. Super daring. Super daring. <laughs> daring. All right, well, you can find me on Twitter at the Garbage Time or on Facebook at the, at the Football Garbage Time homepage. Until next time, enjoy your NFL week. Thank you for listening and wasting time with us. And go out and make those bets, those daring bets, and win some money. Bye, everyone.